Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Well, goodness, how are we? Guys, I want to be really faithful to steward well what's happening here. Um, I, I think God is doing a work that, uh, that we're not going to be able to explain at the end of the day apart from his grace. So I'm, I'm grateful. Guys, uh, I, I want you to go ahead and, and get your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, that's where we're going to be this morning, Matthew chapter 6. And so I know I've already been up here, but good morning. It's a blessing to be with you guys. And who's this guy over here? You say hi. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to get all organized still. Yeah, we've got a lot going on this morning. But guys, uh, today's going to be very unique for us here yes. and you <laughs> there uh, because we're doing something a little bit different. Um, today, uh, Kirk and I are going to be preaching together. Uh, this, is, this is like, um, here's the frying pan. You're in it, right? Uh, we, we, we have the privilege and the responsibility as a church to train up pastors in ministry, and uh, Kirk has been called out by the Lord, identified by this local church as somebody who is in that pathway, in that process, and so I have the responsibility and the privilege to walk with him into that ministry, though we're the same age. I don't know what I can give to him. He's already there, I'd have to say, but with that said, we're going to be preaching today, and in preparation for this whole morning, in preparation for this whole series and sermon, it's just been like, hey, so here's my heart. Uh, oh, well, that was mine too. Well, here's what my thought is. Well, that was mine too. And so it's been an incredible thing to walk with him and to work with him and go before the Lord and find out just how united our hearts are together, especially on uh, this morning and what we've been planning for this morning. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get started on the height that we're going to talk about this morning. We want to do what we've been doing the last couple of weeks and just take a look back at where we've been um, because that's so important to the whole walk, to this whole journey. We started on Good Friday with this sermon series, just taking an in-depth look at what Christ has done for us, what Christ suffered to, to show and to display his amazing love for us. And not only that, but to, to take a, a glimpse at the depths of his sacrifice to bring us back into right relationship with him. Yeah. And then we had the amazing um, privilege of walking through the journey of, of the heights of the resurrection, right? The, the reality is, is that God's not dead. Jesus isn't still in the grave, but he's risen. Amen. Right? And because of that, now we get to partake in this resurrection life that Scripture talks about. But in that resurrection life is, is the call to take the plunge into the depths of following Jesus. Right? The, the, the depths of what it means to pursue this relationship with Jesus and to pursue what God's calling us to. So as we're doing that, it's, it's fun to think about, well then... We're called to, to follow Jesus and to plunge into these depths of following Jesus, but what are we running towards, right? Why are we running the race? What's the prize that we're looking for, forward to? So today, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the heights of our treasure in heaven, the heights of our treasure and our reward for, for living this life well, for pursuing that relationship with Jesus and living there. Absolutely. So 
We're going to be in a passage this morning to kind of introduce the idea in Matthew 6, but we're also going to be dancing a little in Revelation as well. So uh, we want you predominantly in Matthew 6. Uh, if you feel so inclined to be in Revelation, we're going to have those verses on the screen when we get there. But let's look at Matthew chapter 6, and, and obviously we're in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Boy, he is turning the world upside down. Actually, I would say he's turning it right side up, right, because we were the ones who turned it upside down. And so with that, we're going to be in verse 19. Uh, all the way through 21. So let's just dive right in. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. So in the two, first two verses of, that, that Scott read, Jesus is encouraging us to live life in light of our mission, to live life in light of eternity. That is to live in such a way, to pursue God in such a way, to go about our relationship with Jesus in such a way that we're storing up for ourselves eternal things, eternal rewards. Not, not focusing on the, the things that we can build up and store up while we're here on earth, things that will ultimately fade. You don't get to take a U-Haul truck with you when you go to heaven. Oh, man. Those things fade. They perish. They disappear. And Jesus is encouraging in this, us in this passage to look forward at eternity and begin to store up things in heaven by the way that we live our lives here and now. Yeah, and with that, so the command, the exhortation is to store up, to, to build up your treasures there. And, and then Jesus does something that's actually quite beautiful. And, and we're gonna talk about this more next week, ironically, but, but he gives the command and then he explains why, right? He talks about like not being able to be decayed or, 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 or lost in any way or stolen, but, but there's something else at the end of that that's a beautiful explanation to why we ought to be storing our treasure up there. So we have the exhortation and then we have the explanation. And the explanation is simply this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Guys, if you don't have that verse memorized, you better memorize it because it's an incredible truth. And it's actually not new to you, right? We, we've already talked about this. Uh, we talked about it a year ago, almost a year. It feels like a year ago because the series was so long and a glimpse of glory. If you guys were here for that, 12, 13, whatever. But we talked about it there. The simple principle was this. You become what you behold, right? The things that you admire and treasure and enjoy, you, 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 you find yourself more acclimated and inclined to those things. You find your, your will and desires to be more for those things. So when we talk about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're talking about what you cherish, you commend. What you become or what you behold, you become. The things that you highly treasure, they're the things that occupy your heart. And, and the heart in scripture is a crazy thing. It's, it's so dynamic with, with all the things that it holds. Like it holds your personality, it holds your personhood. It holds things like your affections, like the things you love or, or even your emotions and what you, you despise or hate. It, it holds your will, right? All of that's seated right on the throne of your heart. And so, so what you cherish in your heart controls how you live. It controls the things that you decide. It controls how you spend your resources, like your time, your, your money, 
right? Your, your, your affections, your will, all those things are determined by the values of your heart. So if I can give an illustration, it's this, the first thing that comes to mind is simply a donkey with a carrot in front of it on a stick. Now, I, I don't, sorry if you think I'm calling you a donkey. I'm not. It's just that what I see, the value is, on, is the carrot, it's on a stick, and that's directing where we're going and what we're loving, because that's what our eyes are set on, right? Does, does that make sense? So where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if, if a certain standard of, of wealthy living is, is the value that your heart treasures, then you will make decisions. Your heart will be inclined to be a, a affectionate towards those things that include a high standard of wealthy living. And, and, and what you might find out is the lesser values in your heart are what take the hit. Maybe your marriage or your family because you're too busy doing overtime because you want to make enough money to be able to provide that standard of living you have for your family. You tracking with me? On another note, if 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 uh, uh, if the value of God's love and grace are the things that your hearts are so in awe of, if that's the the, the driving force, then you're going to find that your decisions, your will, your passions are going to be acclimated around not only yourself experiencing the love and grace of God, but walking with others into that grace and that love. So you're going to find yourself acclimated towards those things because of the values of your heart. So either way, your choices and your actions are shaped by the things your heart cherishes. So this is why, this is why Jesus says we ought to accumulate, store up our treasures in heaven, to set our minds on things above, not on things on earth, as Colossians 3 would say, so that if there if our treasure's in heaven, then we're gonna find out that, that everything about us is gonna be more acclimated toward those treasures. And we're gonna see our lives change in an incredible way. And in light of that, the idea that if our treasure's in heaven, our lives reflect that, I also wanna say that our view of heaven directly reflects in the way that we go about life, in the way that we live. Mm. Our understanding of what heaven is and what heaven's gonna be about it directly reflects in our lives and the things that we pursue while we're here. And you can go around and you can take time to ask people, well, what do you think heaven's going to be like? And you get a whole bunch of different answers, right? And some of them are just, just absolutely, um, you know, out there. When you ask, well, what's, what's heaven going to be like? There's a lot of misconceptions about what heaven will actually be like. I've got an example for you. <laughs> I did some, some searching and I found uh, somebody posted a tweet on Twitter and it said this, I imagine when you get to heaven, they give you a box with all the sodas and snacks that vending machines cheated you out of your whole life. <laughs> Great example, huh? And I think for a lot of us, or for a lot of people, Heaven is just, a, in their minds, heaven is just an upgraded version of our life here on earth. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll get to do all the things that I enjoy doing here, but I'll get to do them more and maybe be able to do them better. I love golfing, so when I get to heaven, that means I'm just going to just have endless days out on the course, hitting the, <laughs> hitting the ball, putting, you know, make, making the long putts. You know, maybe I'll even be able to make putts that I couldn't make before because <laughs> somehow my ability to play golf now is just perfection, mm -hmm. which 
by the way, I would love that if that was the case, you know? Or, or the idea that maybe when I get to heaven, I'll finally be able to dunk a basketball since I've been 5'5 my entire life. And what we begin to do is we begin to project our life here on what heaven's going to be like. And we begin to diminish the reality of heaven by comparing it to something that we have here. Yeah, and, and one of the ways that we might even do that is, is we take the values of our culture and we put them on heaven. So we take the idea or the concept of the American dream and we make that heaven in perfection. We, we put it on steroids and say that's what heaven is. So when we talk about our mansion in the sky, it's because we didn't have one here, right? It's because our, our house was not as great as we wanted it. So we had that mansion in the sky. It's seated uh, in the fields of green with a white picket fence around it and a Maserati parked in the garage. That's what heaven is for some people, right? This idea of the wealth that they couldn't have here that was wealth in the world is what we're gonna get there on steroids or in full. And guys, that's just pretty asinine to be honest. Yes, there are mansions prepared for us by Jesus, but I'm not sure that it's necessarily an American dream idea. So with this in mind, if, if heaven is not those things, then the natural question is, what is heaven going to be like? Um, and there's, there's a shroud of mystery over some of that, right? The Bible doesn't give us everything to know um, about heaven, about that reward, about what awaits us when we get there. But what, what treasures will we have in heaven? Absolutely. So with that, what we're going to do now is we're going to kind of jump over to the book of Revelation. You don't have to turn there. We're going to have them all up on the screen. But uh, in the book of Revelation, one of the things that we see in Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches are listed out tons of heavenly treasure. Like, it's incredible. And the way he words it is something along the lines of, to the one who conquers, I will grant these. To the one who conquers. Now, when we talk about the one who conquers, there's this idea of endurance and perseverance, but it's endurance and perseverance in belief in Jesus, who is the conqueror, who is the overcomer, right? So we are basically just walking in the train of his robe. He is leading us in the banner of victory that he's already won for us. So when we talk about to the overcomer, it's the one who just endures to the end in their faith in Jesus. So that's what we're looking at. So there's seven letters, and then the first letter in the book of Revelation, you find it in Revelation chapter two, we see Jesus say this to the church in Ephesus. He says in verse seven, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. There's one major treasure of heaven. Let me explain it for just a minute. So when we talk about the tree of life, you should hear echoes of that all the way through scripture, all the way from the beginning, right? We go back all the way to Genesis chapter one, two, and three, and we see that the tree of life was given to mankind in partnership with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And one of them we could not partake of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but we could always partake of the tree of life. But then obviously you know the this, this story, Genesis 3, we, we, we disobeyed, we rebelled, we inclined ourselves to be above God, said he got it wrong, so we're going to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, well, now you cannot eat of the tree of life, or else we would stay in that perpetual state of depravity. And so we see that at the beginning, this tree of life, and we see it at the end. 
If you look in Revelation 22, it's an incredible picture. You have the, the throne, a majestic throne of God with the river coming out of it and the tree of life is over top of it. And it bears its fruits, 12 kinds of fruits in every month of the year, in every season. And basically what we're talking about when we say here's, the, here's a heavenly treasure is that we get to partake of eternal life. We get to partake of life everlasting. Like you may die, but you don't die. In the sense that, and the idea that this tree of life bears its fruit in every season, meaning you get to partake and partake and the tree never wears out and your eternal life will never come to an end. It's kind of hard for us to grasp that because we operate in a paradigm of time, but eternity, no, not so much. So this is one of the first rewards that we find out. Immortality will be ours for the rest of eternity. Absolutely. So in the, in the second letter to the second church in the book of Revelation, the church of Smyrna, it says this in, verses, in chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So the, the, the next treasure that we see that John points out in the book of Revelations is this, this crown of life that will be given when we get there. So, so the question becomes, what is this crown of life? And I think the Apostle Paul gives us light to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 25. He says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. He goes on to say that every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but us an imperishable. See, back in the times when, when Paul lived, the athlete that won an event would be crowned with this wreath that's made of some kind of vine or flowers, and eventually that wreath would fade. But what the wreath stood for was the athlete's victory over the competition he just competed in. And I, I think what Paul is getting at here is that we, in the same way, run a race for a wreath that declares victory, but the difference is, is that the wreath that will be placed on our head, this crown of life that is then placed on our head, is one that's not perishable. Because this, this crown of life represents our victory through Christ over temptation, sin, and the grave. And that's a crown that we wear for eternity. Hmm. We, when we get to heaven and when we step into the presence of God, we receive a crown that proclaims for the rest of eternity, temptation, sin, and death have no hold on us as believers. Amen. He goes on to say that it's not just a crown that represents our victory over this life, but he says that in that, you will also not have to worry about the second death. And what that was is it's explained in Revelations chapter 20, I believe, and it's talking about a lake of fire that all of the people who didn't believe and didn't have faith in Jesus get cast into. And he says that as a believer, as someone who's faithfully followed me, you'll receive a crown of life that proclaims that victory for eternity. And oh, by the way, there's no need to fear what's coming. Amen? Amen. 
We get next to the letter to the church in Pergamum. That's a fun city to say. Revelation chapter two and we're verses, verse 17 and it says this. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone so that no, that no one knows except the one who receives it. So guys, the, the first reward or the first treasure in heaven is that we get to eat of this hidden manna. Right, so uh, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of conspiracy theories about what this stuff is, uh, as far as where it came from. But but if you were to kind of track the Old Testament history, we know that this manna is what what the Israelites ate in the wilderness. Right, you know that that dewy like substance. That I mean, imagine like walking outside one morning. I'm going to get my food and just scoop up the dew off the ground and be like. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if it tastes like that. They bake it a little bit, but anyways. But it tasted like what? Honey, honey wafers. And it satisfied their hunger. It was given to them in response to their hunger and cries for food. And God gave them manna. And there's, there's a lot of theories about what this hidden manna is, but basically there is manna in heaven waiting for us to partake. And it's designed to satisfy every craving. You see, we weren't made to be satisfied the cravings of worldly things. As C.S. Lewis says, if, if this doesn't work, then we're obviously made for another world. If we can't be satisfied by the things here, then we're obviously made for something greater. And the hidden manna testifies to that. That is a, that is a heavenly treasure that we get. Now there's another thing listed here, which is really cool. It's this white stone and you're getting a new name. I don't know if you're holding on to your own name. I don't mind getting a new name, Scott Brud. I mean, yeah, there's, it's whatever. It's, I don't, anyways, it's great. But my mom and dad, if you're watching, I love my name. You didn't do wrong, but, um, but I'd rather be named by Jesus, right? And, and so what happens is we're granted this white stone, and there's a lot of illustration or imagery behind that. A white stone was given to a victor at the end of a competition for winning the competition. And it was that white stone that was used by that victor to enter into the celebration banquet as admittance. It was their ticket in. So they would hand this white stone and they would be granted admittance in. And the idea is that we are given this white stone by Jesus, the lamb, and he's inviting us into the messianic banquet, the marriage supper of the lamb, which is another illustration or imagery in, in the book of Revelation. So we have this treasure that gives us and grants us access to the eternal celebration of the lamb. And not only that, but it's got a new name on it. Now, you guys know, we, we, we talked about this. With, with a name comes character. With a name comes a history, Right? See, the good thing about moving to a new location is my name doesn't come with a history. If you grew up here, everybody knows your history, and then some, right? <laughs> so you get, you, get, uh, you get a new name, and we see that in Scripture over and over again. We saw Sarai turn to Sarah. We saw Abram turn to Abraham. We saw Jacob turn to Israel. We saw uh, Peter turn, or sorry, we saw Simon turn to Peter. We saw Saul turn to Paul. In other words, when we get to heaven, there's going to be something totally new about us something remade, something born again almost. He's gonna give us a new name and, and it's gonna come with a new essence, a new character and a new slate, a new purpose, right? So, so our pasts are gonna be done away with. There are gonna be no more. Eternity, future will be before us enjoying God in the celebration of the Lamb. 
So in the fourth letter in the, in the book of Revelations, we, it's written to a church called Thyatira, is, what, is the way I'm going to pronounce it. Who knows if that's right, but that's the way it is. Jesus. Um, in verses 26 through 28, and it says this, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as I myself have received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star. So the first thing that we see in this letter to Thyatira is the reality that we'll be given authority like Christ was given authority when he ascended to heaven. And we'll begin to, to rule and to reign with Jesus. And what that looks like, it's not clear about, right? There's, there's, like Scott said, when you begin to research this and look into it, there's all kinds of weird um, speculations of what that might be, but we're not going to go there. What I, what I want to point out, though, this morning is that when we get to heaven, we will be given authority by Jesus in the same way that he was given authority by God the Father. Amen. And we will begin to reign as one people with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for the rest of eternity. Amen. What an amazing thing to look forward to. To, to, to be in, in line with Christ in ruling and reigning with the King that we served while we were here. That's an amazing thing. And then he goes on to say that you'll also get, get this morning star. Hmm. Well, what is the morning star? What does he mean when he says that? And I think, I think in Revelations chapter 22, verse 16, he brings clarity to that. And this is Jesus speaking, and he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root. I am the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The reality is, is that when we get to heaven, we receive Jesus. Not in part, but with unveiled eyes and His perfect perfection, we will see Jesus for all that He is. Amen. The scales will be peeled back and the reality of who Jesus Christ is will be seen in its fullness and we receive Him. Amen. Amen. We are almost through the seven letters. We've got a few more to go, but I don't know about you. I, I like hearing about everything that's in store, right? So we're at the church uh, in Sardis now. We're, we're at Jesus's letter to the church in Sardis and that's Revelation 3, verses four through five. And we see some more heavenly treasures waiting for us. And, and, and Jesus is saying of those who conquer, they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot out his name of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. All right, so we get these white robes and I'm not talking about what you typically see with baptisms, right? <laughs> and then you're concerned about when they get wet. No, it, they're, they're robes of white given to us by Jesus. In fact, they're his, right? They're, they, they symbolize purity. Like there's not gonna be anything tainted within us anymore. They're symbolizing righteousness, received, clothed in. They, they symbolize victory. Guys, it's like, I can't help but picture the, the prodigal son 
when he's, he's coming in his tattered and torn clothes, wearied by a long journey into worldliness. And he's realizing, I was wrong. I need to go back to my father. And he comes back home. And what does his father do? He runs out, he hugs and embraces him, and he says what? Bring out the best robes. Bring out the best robe for my son. Mm-hmm. Guys, we're gonna be given the robes of righteousness. And we're gonna see each other clothed in white for the rest of eternity. Mm-hmm. We also see this visual of, a, of the, the book of life. Right? This idea of a book of life is often repeated throughout scripture and, and basically it's a register of all the names that God wrote down before creation who would believe upon Jesus. Right? The book that was written by God at the beginning of the ages, or before the ages even began, he wrote out the names of those who would be believing upon his son who would be called out to have faith in Jesus. And that book is what is used in the great white throne judgment that Kirk referenced earlier. If your name is in the book of life, you do not experience the second death. This book of life is what secures the safety from the second death. And this, this book of life is what's used to judge all the nations. And according to Revelation 20, verses 12 through 15, those whose names are in this book of life they're gonna be brought into the eternally satisfying presence of God. So, so the prospect, just think about it. Our name being written in that book of life, the prospect of it being erased is a terrifying thing. If this, if, if this is what God uses to judge the nations, if your name's in there, you're with God for the rest of eternity. If it's not, the second death The idea that our name could be erased is a terrifying thing, but here's the promise. Here's the promise. Jesus is saying, I'm not gonna let that happen. Your name is secured in that you will never be erased from the book of life. Jesus is saying, hey, your good works are no longer what secure your name in that book of life. It is all on Jesus. It is all his grace. He's the one that wrote your name into there, into that book of life. He is who secures us. And so you will not have your name erased from the book of life if God wrote it in. So if you conquer, God will not erase your name. And if your name is in this book, you will conquer. Brothers and sisters, guys, this is saying that our salvation is secured by Jesus alone. And together we're gonna strive towards that goal, waiting for the finish line. I don't know about you guys. Are you getting excited yet? looking at all the stuff that we we have to look forward to. In the sixth letter to a church called Philadelphia, and this isn't the Philadelphia, the city that we're familiar with, that the best football team on the earth plays in. Um, And you can disagree, but Pittsburgh isn't anywhere in Scripture. Philadelphia is. But but no, so to the letter of this church of Philadelphia, the Lord says this. He says, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own name. This is Jesus talking. So the first thing that we see is that he says he's going to make us a pillar in God's temple. And what I want to point out here is that we will be permanently fixed to the temple of God. Forever there, never leaving. 
Amen. Right? We'll, we'll forever be in God's temple, in God's holy place, in the place where His Spirit dwells. We'll forever be there, Amen. permanently fixed. And then he goes on to say that, that, that we're going to get some new tattoos when we arrive. <laughs> um, he says, I will write my name on you. I will write the name of my new temple on you. And then Jesus says, I will write my own new name on you. Has, has anyone in here seen the movie Toy Story? Some, some of us. Well, throughout the movie, the original, not the ones that come after, we're talking about the, the first one. Throughout that movie, Woody takes time to look at something. Do you guys remember what that was? There was something on the bottom of his boot that throughout the movie, no matter where he was, when he was discouraged, when he was in a place where he didn't know what to do or, or how to move forward, he took a minute and he looked at the bottom of his boot. Does anyone remember what was on the bottom of his boot? Andy. Andy. And who was Andy? His owner. This is the, this is the image I got when I read through this. That, that God puts His name on us. A, a name that proclaims that we always belong to Him. Amen. That we're His. And if you watch the, the movie of Toy Story, Woody doesn't look at that in like spite. He doesn't go, well, oh, Andy owns me, right? But he looks at that to be encouraged because there's love, there's relationship, there's, there's playing that took place with that person who owned him. He looked on that with pride because Woody knew by looking at the bottom of his boot that he belonged to someone who deeply loved him. And what God's saying here is that for all eternity, my name is going to be written on you and there will be no doubt that you belong to someone who loves you deeply. You belong to me. You're mine for eternity. Amen. Last letter, the church in Laodicea. We see it in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. This is what Jesus says. He says, To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also sat down with my father. Uh, oh, sorry, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Guys, I think when a lot of us picture heaven, we picture us in a crowd of billions of people and angels, just a, a sea of faces, and us just like looking at a distant throne, and God's just way over there. Guys, this is saying, Jesus is going to be like, no, come. Individually, come. Sit with me and my dad. Enjoy us. Be with us. You're not just simply a face in a sea of faces. You are sitting with God on his throne, with his son. And, and like, that is, that is close. Like, that's amazing. We get to be that close to God. Guys, these are just some of the rewards or heavenly treasures that we find just peppered throughout Scripture, and they are incredibly beautiful. We have an amazing, eternal inheritance to look forward to. 
The book of Revelations, John really lays out some amazing things that we get to look forward to when we get to heaven. But it's hard to think that at, at looking at all of this, that there, there might be something greater than what John's laid out here. But the reality is, is that there is. Right? These things aren't the main thing that we should be running after. These aren't the main treasure we have in heaven. There's something higher. We've talked about depths and height. And guys, there's something even higher than all of this that we've just explored Scripture together in. There's something higher. What is the chief treasure of heaven? What is the supreme prize? Let me answer it this way. The supreme prize of heaven is God. The supreme prize of heaven is God. Can we say that together? One, two, three. The supreme prize of heaven is God, right? Guys, God is the gospel, right? God is the reward of faith, right? He is, he is the highest treasure that we get when we cross that Jordan and we're on the other side with him. He is who we have for the rest of eternity. He is the highest treasure that is afforded to us in our inheritance in Christ Jesus. If you don't believe me, then let me just kind of remind you of a, a few different things, right? So we see that, that Jesus himself defines eternal life as getting to know and be with God. We see that in John 17 too. This is eternal life. You often answer that, oh, just getting to live forever. No, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and know the one you have sent. This is, this is life everlasting, that we get God for the rest of eternity. The reality of this is, is that this is not only an idea that's found in John chapter 17, but this is something that's echoed throughout Scripture. In fact, it's even echoed in the verses that we read from Revelations chapter 2 and 3, right? We, re we receive a new name on a white stone. Right, we're, 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 we're given the morning star who is Jesus himself. So we get Jesus, not only that, but we get to walk with him in those white robes. We don't just get the white robes, we are counted worthy to walk with Jesus for the rest of eternity. We are being made a pillar that will be forever fixed in the temple of God, forever fixed where the presence of God dwells. We get that name on our foot. Not probably there, somewhere, <laughs> but we get that name and we, we belong. There's a sense of belonging to this God who is ours and we are his. We will be seated on a throne with Christ, next to Christ, with him right next to us for all eternity. So, so this is why probably the clearest explanation of the gospel uh, could be found in a verse like 1 Peter 3 18, it says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to who? God. God. That's the point of the gospel. He brings us to God so that we might be ushered into the very presence of God and get to enjoy that heavenly treasure that is God himself. There's coming a day where we close our eyes for our last. We open our eyes and enter into a kingdom where everything that was lost in the garden, every aspect of humanity that God intended to be there, every aspect of relationship with God that, was, that, that Adam and Eve had the privilege of walking in 
will be restored. Christ came that we could regain the most precious thing we've ever lost, and that is the ability to walk hand in hand with God for eternity. So do you believe us? The supreme prize of heaven is God? What, what else would you want? So, so here's how I, I think we ought to land this today. Going first back to where's your treasure at? Where are you storing up your treasures? Is it in these? Or is it out there? I also have another way to land it, and it's in the form of a question, and I've been praying that the Lord would just allow this question to simply infiltrate the very depths of our faith, and and the question is simply this, what are you believing Jesus for? What is it? Is it so that you can be set free from certain addictions? Sure, that's part of it. Like, what are you believing Jesus for? Because this is such an important question because it does a few things. It, 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 it shows what we believe about the purpose of the gospel. Like, it shows why we, what we believe, why Jesus came. It also kind of invites us to examine our faith and see what, what are we treasuring? Like, what, what do we think Jesus got for us? And, and, and you know what? It might actually expose a few of the idols of our hearts that we fashion together to think, well, that's what God really wants me to have. But in reality... It's something a little bit more. So, so what are you believing Jesus for? Is it so you can, you can have a perfect 18 playing golf on the clouds? No. Is it so that you can have that mansion in the sky? Well, there is one waiting for you, sure. Is it so you can live forever? Yeah, that's, that's part of it. Is it so that you can have forgiveness of sins? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the crux. I mean, that's important. But that is on the pathway to something. That is the means to an end. And what is the end? What is the ultimate end? It's God. It is so that we might have God. The height of our heavenly treasure, the highest peak that you can climb to in our understanding of the value of our inheritance in God is God himself. Getting God. So that that Jesus is going to be taking us with him to be with him where he is, with his father, is the gospel. We believe Jesus to get God. We believe Jesus to know God and be known by him, loved by God, and to love him without having the fear of rejection or being cast out. We believe Jesus for a reconciled and a restored relationship to our dad in heaven. Right, so that's our treasure. God is the peak of it all. He's the best of it all, the most excellent and supreme. So believers, store up your treasure in there and all of this and more. But I also realize that for some of us, this just doesn't sound as attractive as that mansion in the sky with the Bugatti in the garage. This doesn't sound as attractive or appealing as getting to be able to dunk for the rest of eternity because you couldn't hear. Because if, if, if you're finding within your faith that, that, that God being the, the chief prize of heaven 
isn't appealing to you, it's not stirring anything in you, then you've got to do a lot of hard work and see what's going on. You've got to examine your faith because there's something broken. Maybe it's a misunderstanding of this, of what God has been doing in the creation that he created. Whatever it is, the chief end of all of this, of our faith, is that we get God. So what are you believing Jesus for? If this isn't attractive to you, then do some faith work. Go before the Lord and say, God, what is going on within me? Because, I mean, let's just be honest. Who wouldn't want this? Who wouldn't want God? Right? If, if he's this eye in the sky who just examines all of your morality and says, well, you failed here and failed here, then no, I could understand that. But he's not that. He is love. He is acceptance and forgiveness in Jesus so that we might be able to walk into his presence and enjoy him for the rest of eternity. So who, who wouldn't want this? Who wouldn't want to be able to, to call the creator of the universe who can say a word and, and galaxies appear out of his breath? Who wouldn't want to call him Dad. Who wouldn't want to have a relationship with him? This is what we get when we believe in the gospel. This is the highest treasure. We have a tremendous prize awaiting us. If we run the race well, if we pursue that relationship with Jesus, live in that relationship with Jesus, and follow Jesus where he leads us to go. That's what salvation is, right? It's believing in who Jesus is and walking in relationship with Him. It's not a prayer that we pray, but it's a relationship we enter. So the question I, I, I want to ask this morning is, what are you running after? And we don't, we don't know where you are this morning, right? We can't read minds. We can't tell where you're at. But I think that there's a few places we can be at this morning. One, we could be in a place where, where we've never even thought or had a concept of what heaven was going to be like, right? Maybe we haven't even received this gift that Jesus paid a tremendous price to be able to give. And we didn't know that there was a God out there that loved us so much that he was willing to give so much to spend eternity with us in heaven. He paid a price that, that we could have him, so that that relationship can be restored. And if you're in that place this morning, the first thing I want to say is God deeply loves you. He deeply loves you. I don't care what your life has looked like to this point, what you've done, what you haven't done, where you've been. The reality is, is that the God of the universe deeply loves you. And he deeply loves you enough that his son Jesus came to earth, lived here 33 years, was beaten, mocked, and crucified to pay the debt of sin to restore your relationship with God so that you can live with him now, but that you could also experience Experience him in his fullness in heaven. Amen. That's the gospel. That's how much God loves you. And I think for some of us, we've been believers for a while, but maybe we have a misunderstanding of what heaven was meant to be. And we need God to come alongside us and renovate our hearts and renovate our minds in such a way that we truly understand the amazing gift of getting God and getting God for eternity with unveiled eyes, seeing Jesus in his fullness and 
understanding the complete depths of his love, the complete depths of his grace, the complete depths of how awesome and mighty our God is. If, if that doesn't excite you this morning, I want to give you the invitation to come and let God do some work. Or maybe we're in that place where we're just in a rough spot and we've been following the Lord faithfully for years and we understand what heaven is supposed to be and we just needed to be encouraged this morning to say, hey, pick your eyes up, continue to look to heaven because there's, there's something that's still worth running for. Amen. There's something that's still worth chasing. There's something that's still worth pursuing. And His name is Jesus. His name is Father. And we get to spend eternity with Him if we run and pursue Him now. So wherever you're at this morning, I want to encourage you and give you the invitation to respond to what God's doing. To what God's saying. To what God's desiring to do in your lives. And I'm going to take a minute and just a moment and pray. And then Luke's going to come up and, and, and lead us through Be, thou, be my thou My Vision, which is just an awesome song to ask God to be that in our lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just come to You, Lord, and we just thank You so much for who You are. That we serve a good, good Father who deeply loves and deeply cares for His children. So much so that He sent His own child to come and to die so that we could spend eternity in relationship with You. And Lord, I just pray that You would come, that You would do a work in our lives today. Lord, for those that don't know You and have never thought about um, death this way, never thought about heaven, Lord, I just pray that You give them a deep revelation of Your love for them and how much You love them, how much You care for them. And Lord, for those of us that, that may have a wrong perception of what we're pursuing in, in pursuing heaven, I just pray, Lord, that you would come in, Lord, and that you would do a work in our lives, Lord, that you would renovate what's need, what needs renovating, that you would tear out and do away with what needs to be torn out and done away with, Lord, and that you would install what needs to be installed in our lives. And Lord, for those of us that have, have been following you faithfully for years, Lord, we just, we just ask, Lord, that you would use this as a reignition of our faith, Lord, a, a spark to relight the fire that, that, that's gone out or that's dimmed. Lord, the reality of getting you for eternity. And Lord, we just come to you. We thank you so much, so much, Jesus for how much you love us so much, Jesus, for the amazing depths you went through, Lord, the amazing depths you went to, to, to show your love and to provide a way back for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.